join us for the great American Thanksgiving Day tradition. The streets of New York City are lined with millions of spectators, and holiday cheer is in the air. A celebration filled with television and music's biggest stars, world-famous balloons, incredible marching bands, phenomenal floats, and... Ron Ananian. We got an email this week from someone who said they were a former automotive engineer, and I don't want to talk to Ron on air because he tends to pick on engineers. And Tom said, listen, why don't you go on the air and talk to Ron? I'm not going to bite you. I'm not scary. I'm not going to hurt anybody. The car doctor. Instead of putting two T-15 Torx bolts right next to each other, make one a T-15 and make the other a T-15 tamper-proof. So you need to change the socket so that you realize it's different. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, come on in. Sit down. Full house today here at The Car Doctor. I'm Ron Ananian. Ready to take and answer your questions at 855-560-9900. I am also online at cardoctorshow.com, streaming and podcasts there as well. We don't talk about that enough, actually, that you can go to cardoctorshow.com and stream this radio show live down at the button on the lower left side of the screen. And you can also take podcasts from TuneIn and iHeartRadio, subscribe there, actually, as well as iTunes. And um, just stay in touch with The Car Doctor and what's going on here on radio as we talk about your car and the problems and things that are going on. If you're new to this radio show, listen, here's the deal. I've been repairing cars for, well, let's see, longer than I haven't been repairing cars, 43 years. Um, Started at the tender age of 16, and uh, you do the math. You can see how old this old man has become, and this is really about you. I'm just going to sit up here for the next two hours and talk to you about your car and its problems and some of the things I see. And, yeah, I'm aware of most of what's going on out there because I try to keep my ear to the ground, but I try to talk to a lot of people, not just – Around me, around the shop, you know, around the repair shop that I that I've that I've run for the past, you know, thirty plus years, whatever it is, um, nineteen seventy eight. I forget sometimes. Do the math. Uh, it, it's just a matter of it's it's really a matter of um, listening to everybody or trying to. Um, I had an email this week from a listener in Cape Town, South Africa. We're going to talk about that this hour. Uh, we're going to talk about our next hour. I'm not sure where. We're going to talk about the article in the Wall Street Journal, and I might do it right here and now because it's kind of on top of mind, about the fact that you are keeping your cars longer and why, and some of the impact and the effects that it's having on the economy. And and they're thinking that the American automobile market has peaked at 17.5, almost 18 million units a year. And they're thinking that, well, it's probably not going to grow much more. And then we're going to talk about the fact there was someone on Fox, one of the local Fox channels this week, and he had written a book about economics, and he talked about the myth of the 3,000-mile oil change and what a bunch of nonsense it is. And, you know, I'm going to open up that can of worms, and I'm going to, I'm going to go toe-to-toe because I just, I just don't get it. I don't see what the fascination is with running oil longer than it needs to be because I'm one of those guys. And... Um, you know, I, I, we're going to have that conversation this hour, you and I. But we are here to take your calls. I am here to take your calls and answer your questions at 855-560-9900 because that's really what this show is about. If you're new to it um, and you've got a car problem 
and you want to know what's going on, keep in mind you can call that 855 number. And if we're not on the air, if you're doing this by podcast or stream, you can leave a message and we will call you back. We've made arrangements so that there's a 24-hour, 24-7 messaging service there. And uh, you can call back and talk to me and I won't bite. I promise. I'll be very gentle. Um, this is all about fixing the car. That's all this is about. Article in the Wall Street Journal this week, and a listener sent it, and it's actually posted up on the Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor Facebook page. And I thought it was really kind of neat because it's 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 taking what I've been thinking and saying, but it actually puts a couple of different lights on the subject as far as where the industry is going. My contention is, now I live in the Bergen bubble. I'm in Bergen County, New Jersey, and it's it's sort of an isolated area by the by the um, uh, amount of wealth that's here, I will say it like that. I think Bergen County, New Jersey, Greenwich, Connecticut, and Beverly Hills are, are are sort of all in the same level or platform, and there's probably a few other places out there, but there's a lot of money in this part of the country. And around here, I can literally tell somebody your car needs brakes and tires, and they will replace the car flat out. It's just the most amazing thing you ever saw. I mean, people will replace six, seven-year-old Toyota Camrys because they need brakes and tires. Uh, you know, they don't want to spend $1,500 to fix it. They'll go out and spend $35,000 and replace it. But yet other places in the country, because I always say auto repair is a national phenomenon with regional consequences, that other places of the country that aren't so economically well off will fix that car. And, and that's what this article in the Wall Street Journal talked about, how people are more inclined to fix cars now rather than replace them. And it was interesting, if you if you find it online, and I'll see if I can post a link. Well, actually, the yeah, we'll see if we can get a link up. Um, no, it is actually up on Facebook. What am I saying? If you go down to the bottom of it, though, and read it, the comments from people made me feel good because you're talking about the things I've been saying about and that's not, I don't mean to make that sound like it's self-serving, but my God, like people with common sense, they're changing the oil on a regular basis. They're driving the car to 300,000 miles. They're trying to get a half a million miles out of it. They understand there's cost along the way. And it was interesting to know, too, that everyone that was commenting there, well, not everyone, it didn't say it that way, but some of the people that were commenting there referenced their trusted and reliable mechanic, somebody they've had a relationship with for umpteen years. And I said, wow, look at that. And that's the other part of this radio show, if you're a newbie, is that you really need to have a relationship with someone as far as the guy that's going to fix your car. We had a new customer walk in yesterday afternoon, and uh, she was new. uh, uh, The repair shop on the other side of town, actually the next town over, had closed down, and he had started sending people. He says, yeah, go see Ron. Ron will take care of you. I'm going to move on. I'm going into a different line of work. And she walked in. The first words out of her mouth were, you know, I really enjoyed my relationship with Mike. I, I really enjoyed the fact that I had somebody I could count on, and I'm looking to establish that with you. And I said, wow, you know, somebody that gets it. And I think that's the big missing piece of the puzzle. And I think that's so hard to have in some repair shop environments. And part of it's the shop itself, and part of it is you. And you've got to get – I think it's I think it's the way we're we're brought up and – it's the blockage, um, and we'll leave it there. But um, Wall Street Journal article was very enlightening, definitely worth reading. Talked about how the industry is going to go through another metamorphosis. Interesting to note, they talked about Carl Icahn, how not only does he own Federal Mogul, which is Moog and Anko and a bunch of other name brands, but he also purchased Pep Boys recently, which I had known about. So what he has done there is he has, he has eliminated the middleman. 
He has now got distribution, and he has got manufacturing. He's going to tie the two together and avoid some. He's going to drop some price points, and it'll be interesting to see what he can do as far as distributing parts at lower costs and what effect that has on the auto industry as well. So that's going to become something to watch for. But the gist of this Wall Street Journal article is, bottom line, hands down, cars are being made better, made to last, with proper care and maintenance. And that's what you need to do in order to hang on to that vehicle and uh, keep it running. So that's what this radio show is about. That's what I liked about the article. It sort of emulated what we talk about here, just trying to help you get the most bang for your buck and keeping you on the straight and narrow and keeping you safe and helping you to understand the repair process because auto repair is just, it's a mess, folks. It's the only way I can explain it. Um, you know, I i get it that people want to work on their own cars, and the article talked about that, this Wall Street Journal article. It talked about the fact that there's do-it-yourself market has probably peaked. It may grow for another year or 18 months, but it's going to peak because it's gotten to the point where I, as the professional, I have difficulties. And it really becomes an issue that if I have difficulties, you're going to have difficulties. And, um, you know, it's just it's just part of the technology. So let's pull over and take the pause, 855-560-9900. And I should point out, we're pulling over and taking the pause by the hands of the great Favag. The Favag is back up and running. Uh, Doc Holtz fixed it. It's uh, working like a charm. It's nice to look up there and see my Favag. And um, we're powered by Favog once again. Makes me happy. I'm Ron Anini and the Car Doctor. I'll be back to ramble on more right after this. Hey, well, I'm a friend of stranger in the black sedan. I want you hop inside my car. Hey, welcome back. Juan Amini, the car doctor. A quick shout out to the little lady in the audience. I understand she's back this week and um, she's waving again. So we have to teach her that sound on radio is very important, Mom. We want you to start waving as uh, we bring you out for these studio joints. So uh, we want to just let you know that we love you and we're glad that you're out there among the uh, small studio audience that we get each and every week. Let's uh, let's wander over and, oh, look at this. We just heard back from David Pogue. This just came up on my screen. He'll be on the show next Saturday to discuss his oil change statement on Fox 5. And uh, he's looking forward to it. We are, too, and we appreciate his uh, we appreciate his efforts to get back to us. David Pogue will be here with us uh, next week, and we're going to talk about the 3,000-mile oil change myth and uh, some of the things that he's got in his book as uh, we talk about economics and the automobile. That'll be next Saturday here on The Car Doctor. But right now, let's get over to Jason in Columbus, Ohio, IS250 Lexus, and some problems with a little bit of a shake. Jason, you're on with The Car Doctor, sir. How can I help? Um, well, anyway, I got a uh, 2008. IS two fifty Lexus. Okay. Um I just uh when I got it I noticed a little bit of shaking in the uh in the steering. So then I took it over to Will Medic in Columbus, had them straighten out three rims and they sandblasted and powder coated them clear black. I told the guy what was going on. He said maybe the balance he goes, I had a guy come in here. I balanced his tires, and the problem went away. Well, so I got it back, and it's a lot, lot better, but I can still notice just a little bit. And then 
sometimes when I'll be driving, it happens rare. It'll do like a kind of a little bit of a violent shake, but not really bad. But like you have a flat, and I let off the accelerator, it goes away, and I ease into the accelerator. Well, my good. my questions are: What speeds is the vibration happening, Jason? Fifty-five, sixty, low speed, high speed. Um, I would say in around fifty-five, uh, sixty, but sometimes it's real smooth and okay. it's not in there. It's it's not there every time. So exactly. So, are you noticing it more on specific roads rather than speed conditions? You know, if you go on if you go on road A and drive at fifty five, does it happen every time? Whereas if you go on road B and drive at fifty five, it does not. Yeah, it doesn't happen every time. But it's is it is it is it road specific and speed specific, or is it just you know if you drive on the same road one day it happens and the next day the same road same speed it doesn't, or is it more likely that yeah, it's, yeah. okay so it's just it's speed specific mind of its own it doesn't matter the road you're on. Exactly. All right. The next time it happens on that road that you're on, at fifty-five, sixty, put the car in neutral. What happens? Um, never did that. Okay. I'd be curious to see what would happen once you take the load of the suspension and the drivetrain out of the out of the equation. Just roll along at fifty-five. You might have to do a little faster, maybe fifty-eight miles an hour. Um, just to see what does the vehicle do. Does that change the tone and the pitch of the vibration or, or the distortion, whatever you're experiencing? Now, let me ask you this. When the guy straightened the rims, did he say they were absolutely perfect, or is it is it a 98% repair? Um, he said they were perfect. Okay. All right. And then just uh, my next thing I would go down and look at is how much weight is on those rims. Okay. All right, because I'd be curious how much weight's on the rims. And, you know, I had a 2015 Chevy Silverado this week with 275, 25, 20-inch tires on it. And they were aftermarket wheels. And two of the wheels took, one wheel took almost eight ounces of weight, and another wheel took about four and a half, almost five ounces of weight. Now, they were up front. They had hit a, a pipe in a ditch in the road. A uh, customer acknowledged to me that since then he had a vibration. I put them to the rear of the vehicle, and I'm waiting back for a report to see after they were balanced what sort of effect that had. But I also left the caveat that even though they're balanced, there's only so much weight can do. There's only so much it can correct, and it may need to have rims replaced. And my point is even straightening rims, unless they're dead perfect, may still need to be replaced. Or you may have to go for, did they do a regular Spin balance, or did they do a road force balance? Um, he didn't exactly uh, tell me. Okay. Uh, I just, yeah. and, and I bet he, I bet he lumped the price of the balance into the wheel repair, so you wouldn't know what you really paid for the balance separate from the repair, or do you? Um, well, see, uh, he said if I would have took it there just to get the three rims straightened, it would have been one hundred and thirty-five. Since he was. Sandblasting my rims and powder coating my clear black, that would only be thirty-five to straighten them. Right. So I'm I'm guessing he didn't do what we call a road force balance, which is a very specific type of wheel balancer from the folks at Hunter Balance. And what that does is that matches the high spots and the low spots of the rim and the tire, and the contra- the concentricity. In other words, 
the exact diameter so that if this is a little oblong in this direction and that's a little oblong in that direction, it puts them so that the two high and the lows match up so that the wheel actually runs a correct true going down the road. It is the most accurate form of wheel balance on the market today, and depending upon the condition of the wheels and the tires, it, it may actually help and improve your situation. So that may be something okay. you can look for too. So that's 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 really two or three things. Number one, does it change in neutral? Number two, what sort of balance was done to it? And then just maybe a conversation with him, uh, how good were the wheels? He's going to tell you they were perfect because he wants to get paid. Uh, but, you know, in reality, how good were the wheels? Are they are they are they dead nuts on the money? And that's that's really the technical term. And to me, in my mind, if those wheels are really true, take the tires off, spin them on the balancer, they shouldn't require any weight. If that's a good quality wheel, a good quality wheel does not require any weight or a minimum of weight. It may take a quarter ounce, tops a half ounce. But weights, wheels in general, good wheels, don't really take any weight, if any at all. So that's a sign of the wheel itself. One other is um, when I got the car, it actually has two different brand of tires on it, two types. Well, and that's, so would that do it too? That necessarily wouldn't do it, but the condition of the tires could clearly do it. And then depending upon how much chop or how much, if there's any irregular wear in the tires, that could do it also. You know, and then how much how much vibration are we talking about, Jason? Is this is this if you hold your hand on the steering wheel? Is this going to jiggle your arm violently, or is this oh, just no. you know this is is this a pimple on a flea's behind in terms of vibration? Yeah, p- pretty right. much a pimple. Yeah. And, yeah. Right. So you're kind of you're you're you're, you're kind of trying to pick fly poop out of pepper with boxing gloves on and on something with used tires on bent rims that were straightened and I get it. Um, let's let's not exceed the, the, the capability of, of the vehicle itself. But you can try those things, see if that matters. You can also take it back and ask them to rotate the tires. Does that have any effect on it? Moving the tires around, does that change anything? If it does, then you know clearly it's in the rims and tires. And then to make it better than what you've got, it would be a matter of replacing those rims and tires, rims and or tires, depending upon what combination you want to diagnose it down to. Um, you can also play with tire pressure. I don't recommend it, but perhaps softening the tires up a little bit to see what effect it might have on vibration as part of the diagnosis may help also. But always run the tires at regular pressure, normal spec pressure when you need to later on down the road. I'm Ron Anany in the car, Doctor. I'll be back right after this. The car doctor rolling along this hour. Let's get over and talk to Jeremiah at Oklahoma with an 84 Bronco. Jeremiah, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? How you doing there, Mr. Ron? Oh, good, man. What's cooking? Oh, uh, loving life. I'm a, let's see, yeah, an 84 Bronco. Okay. And I'm a, I'll just go ahead and start this off saying I'm a little bit of a shade tree mechanic, kind of dangerous to a point. How's that sound? Yeah, me too, babe. <laughs> hey, listen, you know what? We all started, we all started at that dangerous to a point. Um, and then you get to be old like me, and you 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 you've forgotten more than you remember. So it's just uh, that's how you that's how you get on radio. So, but well, that's um, what I'm uh, trying to do with this thing. This is my first motor that I'm attempting to to do what I got to what I can do with it. I guess I'll put it that way. So '84 was that still a feedback carburetor? That's part of my question. But yeah. Yes, this 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 one does have the feedback. Carter YFA. What yes, a sir. what a turd that thing was in plain English. Holy cow. Um, oh, that makes me feel good. Yeah, that was. Uh, 
Is the midsection loose from the bottom? That was- uh, well, see, here's the thing. I It ran fine. I let a buddy of mine borrow it, and I guess that was mistake number one. But anyways, he uh, calls me and says, man, it won't idle. I can't keep it idling. I said, okay, well, I guess we'll get it to the house, figure out what's going on with it. So we get it home, and I had a buddy of mine who is very smart in the mechanicing world, but he's like two hours away from me, specifically come down to help me rebuild the carburetor. So he rebuilt it, and then all of a sudden it ran fine. It idled fine. It ran fine. Everything was pretty much fine on it. Now, this was probably four months ago when it was 70, 80 degrees. I'm kind of wondering if it has anything to do with some of this. But now when you start it, you know, here we're in the 50, 60, somewhere in that area. But now when you start it, it black smokes, like bad, runs like it sounds like it's got a cam in it. And I was looking at um, adjusting the choke. Right. Choke plate deal, but I got to this particular carburetor. I don't know if they're all like this or if just this one did it or whatever, but it's supposed to have like three screws on the side where you can back them off a little bit, twist a little adjustment. Yeah. And this one, the top two are riveted. I don't know if that's factory. Yeah, that was so. that was factory because they. But you know, here's the deal. They they that's the that's because it's heating the choke spring, which there's an electrical wire to it, or is this okay? Uh, first question: Is there is there an electrical wire to that black choke cover, or does it have a tube that goes into the exhaust manifold? It's got both. Okay, so they're using they're using one and the other. So the so the questions I've got is: Do you have twelve volts to that wire to power up the element? Does that element ever get hot so that the point that it'll open the choke flap all the way? That's number one. And number two, are the is that exhaust heat riser is that exhaust heat tube working properly? Do you feel hot air out of it? Yes. Okay. Um, you said the 12 volt thing. I was kind of curious. The things I've been reading says that's actually a six volt from the alternator, from a stud on the alternator. Yes, I believe that's correct. But there should be a voltage there. That's my point. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. It uh, it has heat coming up through the tube. Right, because it took it off the back leg know, of the alternator. Yeah, I'm thinking about this now. This is a little while ago. I have to remember this. This takes a while. Oh, <laughs> I understand. Because when you get it, when you very first get it started. And it black smokes, you can rev it to disengage the choke, I guess, somehow or another, how it works. It just pops the choke open, I guess. Right. And it still runs like crap and has a pretty good little... It Well, actually, it runs decent, but it has... You can still smell gas, and you can still, like, see a little bit of black coming out of the exhaust, not to mention I'm only getting about maybe three to four miles per gallon out of it. All right, let me ask, let me ask you this, Jeremiah. If you start this up, warm it up, all right, so the choke is out of the picture, mm-hmm. and then you just you know shut it off. It's warm. Start it up again. Is the choke open? Uh, yes, sir. Okay. Does it still smoke black? Uh, yeah, it doesn't black smoke. No, not hard black. Not, but it, it it still smokes. It still smokes partial black. It still runs rich. It still runs crummy. Yes, sir. Still okay. runs rich. Yes, sir. All right. So the, the before we fix the choke problem. Let's let's fix the running rich problem. All okay. right, you know let's not focus on that. Let's. Do you have a lawnmower? Yes, sir. All right, you ever fix that? Uh, occasionally. <laughs> yeah. So you know, I mean, you, car guys like you always tinker. It always starts with the lawnmower. That's where this disease comes from. Trust me, been there, done that. All right. I'm not arguing. <laughs> so yeah. So you know, think about the lawnmower. If the lawnmower was running rich. Would you and and would you look at the choke or would you look at the carburetor or where else other places it could draw fuel from? You'd look at the carburetor and other places it could draw fuel from, right? 
Yes, sir. So bigger, bigger engine, just the same basic thought process. So, you know, let's just leave the choke wide open, get it warm. Is it running, is it running rich? There's a couple yes, of sir. lines connected to the um, uh, float bowl on the top of the carb. There's a bowl vent and a couple of other things for emission controls on this vehicle. Let's let's disconnect those. Let's let's just make it a basic carburetor with an engine. How does this thing run? All right. Could we have a bad vent solenoid that's drawing fuel from the wrong place? Could we have a charcoal canister that's saturated because of a bad vent solenoid? Could we have, you know, I'm looking for fuel draw from somewhere else. All right. Okay. And I'm starting to think about that. Um, number one, number two. When things are disconnected and it's just sitting there running. Take the air cleaner lid off and look down the throat of the carburetor. Is it dripping fuel? If it's no. run, if it's running at idle, is it is it is it dripping fuel? Like, could the float be too high? It doesn't seem to be dripping. No, just okay. when you gas on it, like because I said they said something about check the accelerator pump. I did that. Okay. All right. Get out of the way. So so when does it run rich? Is my question. All the time. It runs rich all the like, time, and you're basing that on what? When it sits at idle, you can smell it. You can smell the gas. And even people have said behind me, man, I think you're running a little rich. You can smell it, and you can see a little bit of, of uh, like, black smoke, I guess. Like, And the, the entire exhaust inside is coated in black. Okay. So <clears> my, <throat> but, uh, my, my questions are, where is it, where is it drawing fuel from? First thing I would do is make this a standalone carburetor. I know it's a feedback fuel system, but you know there should be. An that was another question. Go ahead. The feedback versus non-feedback. I have a '79 Ford. I won't go into the stories of. I had it. I sold it to a friend. I'm buying it back. But anyways, it has the non-feedback system. Okay. So my question is, how hard and would it be smart-ish to convert my current truck? To the non-feedback no, you, the you distributor could, and carburetor and all that. You could. Um, it would be easy enough. You would just have to go find something pre. You know, you have an Eek Four system. Your your seventy nine was either Eek Two or Eek Three. I'm trying to remember where the timeline was because it, it all came along so fast at that stage. They were they were changing the systems around very very quickly. So you could do that, but you know, let's try and fix what you got. So here's what I want okay. you to do. You've got an oxygen sensor on this truck, right? Yes, sir. All right. You got a digital volt ohm meter? Or do you have an, yes, sir. Do you have an analog volt ohm meter? I don't have an analog. All right. I have digital. I mean, you can see it on I digital. Maybe you've got a graphing digital volt ohm meter and you can look at the wave. Um, let's, uh, no, let, let's, hook, <laughs> let's hook up to the O2 sensor. Okay. All right. Let's, do you understand how the O2 works? Uh, yes and no. You know, low, know low, low voltage, it's going to be lean, or a lean condition is going to produce a low voltage on the O2. If it's high voltage, it's running rich. That O2 should be able to swing back and forth. First things first, okay? Let's test the O2. All right? Let's hook up a voltmeter. Let's see where our reading is. Create a vacuum leak. I've got a feeling your O2 sensor is going to be reading high, about a volt, eight, nine tenths or a volt. Make a vacuum leak. Pull the brake booster vacuum line off. Big vacuum leak. The engine will probably stall. So take it off sparingly. You'll hear it sucking some air. That O2 sensor should drop like a stone. Does the O2 respond? If it does, that's good. Put it back together, that's done. We've tested it. We're happy. All right? Awesome. Okay. Then, then let's make sure let's make sure the carburetor as a standalone unit. Disconnect some of the vacuum lines. Start figuring out what the lines do. 
Let's make it a standalone. Could it be drawing fuel from anywhere that it's not supposed to be? Is there fuel in any of those big lines coming up to the carburetor like it's drawing fuel out of the charcoal canister? All right. I haven't pulled those lines off. Right. Let's start to look at those things. It's drawing fuel from somewhere. And then we can talk about this later on next week. And then last but not least, I want you to think about, number one, what do the plugs look like? I'm sure they're pitch black, so they're probably not even in the realm of being able to do it. But I'd like to see you do some form of a correct adjustment using propane and the mixture screw, and how does it respond? This could still be an internal carburetor fault, but we've got to pick our way around. Okay. All right, sir? Do those things. Call me back next week. Let me know where we are. Carter YFA. Okay, I remember him well. All right, sir? All right, hey, Ron, i got one other quick question. I'll tell, you what, I'll tell you what, Jeremiah. Hang on, and uh, let me just get through this next pause, and I'll come right back to you. I'm Ron Annie and the Car Doctor. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Welcome back. Ron and the car doctor rolling along. Let's get back to Jeremiah in Oklahoma. Jeremiah, last question. Go ahead. Hit it. Okay. The uh, the EECIV, there's a deal. Like, I don't have a tech engine light on my truck. But okay. there's a, some way to hook up a voltmeter and whatnot. It's plug in for the right. plug-in over and, and watch And watch the sweeps. Yes, sir. Yeah, and I've done that, and I got nothing. Okay. Well, so I then, did it with a voltmeter. Right. Do I have to use a? Yes, you need to use this. That's why I asked, do you have an analog correction. voltmeter? I'm sorry. Um, you, I used a, a test light. I didn't use the voltmeter. Yeah, I, I believe, if memory serves me correct, because I remember sitting in Eek 4 class asking this exact same question, and that's what made me buy an analog voltmeter, a better one than I had. It needs to have 20 megohms impedance. Um, I kind of remember this conversation, and, yeah, I believe you do. So, you have to use them. Yeah, now, the simple way, well, because think about it. If this thing's running rich, by now you should have set some rich running faults. Or do this. Right. Dis- disconnect something. Disconnect the throttle position sensor and and run the same self-test. It should come up with a code 23. But I believe well, I believe you're going to have to have an analog voltmeter. And if it doesn't go into self-test, then that's a whole other pile of diagnostics you got to go through, too. All right. Well, I'll try that. And if it won't, I'll let you know. <laughs> All right. Keep in mind, by the way, as long as we're talking about the TPS, you can test the throttle position sensor on that truck without having to go into self-test. I'm just thinking about things that will make it run rich. A, a TPS out of range will make that vehicle run rich. You should see around eight, not eight, eight tenths to a volt at base idle if everything is adjusted properly. If it's way over a volt, then that's part of the problem, too. Cool. All right. Well, I'll check all this out, and I'll right. probably be winding up. I'll back at you next week, Ron. All right, man. I'll talk to you then. You have a good rest of the day. Uh, you too. Thank you very Take much. Take good care. You're very welcome. Let's go over to Bill, Charlotte, Virginia, and um, uh, 2013 Buick Verano. Bill, welcome to the car doctor, sir. Thank you, Ron. Yes, Happy sir. belated Thanksgiving to you, your family, and your mom there. I appreciate that. Thanks, Bill. What's going on? Well, um, my original tires um, finally were getting a little bit low, and the traction was always horrible, um, the con- Continental tires that came on the car. So at 60,000 miles just this past week, I, I got them swapped out for some general Altimax RT43s, um, uh, largely on your recommendation to look at generals, and then I found out Consumer Reports gave the uh, RT43 real good rating for snow and also on ice, compared with the Continentals, which I was looking at, some better Continentals. 
Anyway, uh, of course, I had the alignment done. Uh, Front-end alignment, I asked them to center it within the specs, as you had recommended before, in which I'd always questioned why people weren't doing that. And then at the rear, they, of course, measured it, but they told me it was non-adjustable. The right-hand side was fine. Left-hand side, the toe-in was at the extreme limit of the tolerance of the spec, and I believe it was towed in. They didn't... I. I came away with a receipt. I just discovered, but I didn't have. I don't have the printout with me. Right. So anyway, they were saying, "Well, we can't adjust it. We don't know if there's an aftermarket adjustable link. You'll need to take it to a body shop, and, and they'll have to put it on a frame straightening machine to to correct this." So my question is, is this? They said, "Well, it would cause tire cupping." And and Ron, I'll be honest with you, I don't recall. And I certainly was not getting any tire bounce or anything that was noticeable within the car. Right. I don't believe the tires were cupping, and whatever that defect was had been there, I suspect, for a while, because I don't recall hitting anything anytime recently. Um, so is it of a concern? And um, um, anyway, any recommendation or advice you can the, lend the, would be the, helpful. The first question I've got, Bill, or the first concern I've got is, you know, for for an alignment shop, or a tire shop to say that. I'm wondering, you know, how how good they can do an alignment without trying to say it any better than that. Listen, it came out of the factory straight, and yes. if it's not straight, then either they misread the adjustment, or something's twisted and something needs to be adjusted. I, I you know, I, I see a lot of cars that don't have quote unquote factory adjustable specs, and quite a few still have ways through the aftermarket where you can put in shims or modify something or change something within. And being safe, not doing a Rube Goldberg, that would allow for a correct alignment. Um, I'll tell you what, Bill. I'm, I've got to pull over and take a pause. Don't go anywhere. Let me go do this, and we'll finish up when I come back. I'm Ron Anning and the Car Doctor. We'll return right after this. Welcome back. Ron and the car doctor. Bill, you're still there. Bill? Yes. Yes, sir. Hey, listen, real quick, because i got two minutes. The clock's going to take me. Okay, go for it. Do you like bologna? <laughs> sure. Okay. Well, I think at $1.59 a pound, you're getting a heck of a sandwich. Because I was thinking about it. No, seriously. I, w- I mean, I know it's Thanksgiving. We're done with turkey. We'll move on. We'll move on to the bologna holiday. All right? You know, I, I jumped onto the O'Reilly Auto Parts website. All right? Get out to okay. o- Go out to O'ReillyAuto.com, and just for giggles... I typed in 2013 Buick Verano, and then I typed in alignment shims because I'm thinking, this doesn't make any sense. I know Moog makes shims for this. Okay. Sure enough, right on the O'Reilly Auto Parts website, part number K1, K100102, that's a 10 degree, or that's a, that's a 10,000 shim, and then they go all the way up in the line, and it tells you right under description, uh, problem solver, corrects, loosens, and restores, by a camber toe alignment, um, rear camber, rear toe adjustment. Wow. Um, I don't get it. I don't either. <laughs> I, well, and I can tell you what it is without being crude and insulting everybody, which I'm going to be. All right. I've come to the, I've come to the conclusion that believe it or not, there are some hacks in this business. All right. And yes. there are guys that are just doing alignments and whatever the machine tells them, that's it. That's where they stop. And they don't think outside the box. 
Yeah, that's All the right? case. And, and you know, you're telling me that GM manufactured that Buick Verano, and that's how it came out of the factory? Eh, I don't think so. You know, one of the greatest things my kids ever told me as a gift, they told me one day, my one daughter said to me, she goes, the one thing I love the most about you that I learned the best is you always taught me to think outside the box. If the car is broken, there's got to be a way to fix it. Think outside the box. Bill, get out to O'Reilly Auto and uh, get out to O'ReillyAuto.com and you can check on it. But, yeah, Moog does make alignment shims for that vehicle. No real wheel alignment shoes. I'm Ron in the car, doctor. You know what? The mechanics aren't expensive. They are priceless. See ya.